This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We're not sure if it's building number one or two, um, but obviously a lot of black smoke. Uh, we don't know what size plane that was, whether it was a Cessna, a Piper, or even larger. Marsha, oh, Marsha, we got to interrupt you. We just saw live from Chopper 2 yet another explosion. Oh my we just God. witnessed some kind of secondary uh, follow-up explosion on the World Trade Center number two. If not, most of the top collapsed and all the debris from the building was falling down towards the Look ground. at the smoke. Look at the smoke. This is the whole building, did it collapse? Let's look at these live pictures at the World Trade Center. The other tower of the World Trade Center has just collapsed. You are looking at live pictures of the second twin tower at the World Trade Center collapsing as a result of the crash of an airplane. John, just seconds ago, there was a huge explosion, and it appears right now the second World Trade Tower has just collapsed. The uh, debris and the smoke is so thick where I am. Oh, my God. Look behind us. Please pan in this way, please. Be careful of your baby. This is it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. What we've been fearing all afternoon has apparently happened. We were watching number seven World Trade, which was part of the ancillary damage of the uh, explosion and collapse of the other two. We are on the phone with uh, New York Fire Department Lieutenant uh, David Restuccio. Lieutenant, can you confirm it was number seven that just went in? Yes, sir. Uh, and you were, you guys knew this was coming all day? We had, been had, we had heard reports that the building was unstable and that eventually we needed to come down on its own or it would be taken down. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hello, friends. I say friends, and I mean friends, uh, because when it comes to seeking the truth, we really need to tone down the rhetoric and embrace uh, one another, whichever side of the argument uh, you, uh, you may be on. And, of course, we're talking about... 9-11 tonight and what caused the World Trade Center towers to collapse and it is uh, it has been my experience that the the level of rhetoric has reached such a height uh, that it has become very difficult for people who are on the fence on this issue to get some clear information and clear answers and one of the things that I think is the hallmark of this program is that we engage in civil, respectful discussions. Less heat and more light, if you will. And that's where we're going tonight for the full two hours, because it's been more than eight years after the last fires were extinguished at uh, Ground Zero in New York City, yet the debate still rages like an inferno. What brought down the World Trade Center buildings? 
Members of the 9-11 Truth Movement continue to argue vigorously that the collapse of the World Trade Center was not caused by the plane crash damage that occurred as part of the September 11, 2001 attacks, nor by resulting fire damage, but by explosives installed in WTC buildings 1, 2, and 7 in advance. Some proponents of World Trade Center controlled demolition conspiracy theories, and I don't use conspiracy theories in a pejorative manner. A conspiracy is not only just a theory, sometimes it's a crime, and these crimes need to be investigated. Uh, but some of the adherents to the World Trade Center uh, controlled demolition theory suggest that Building 7 was demolished because it served as an operational center for the alleged conspiracies. While others believing the government also wanted to destroy key files held there about corporate fraud. We'll leave uh, much of, of that end of the discussion aside tonight and we're going to concentrate on some of the more technical aspects. So as I say, for the next two hours, a debate will uh, offer the phone lines to you for questions and comments probably in the last half hour of the program. So for now, just sit back and uh, maybe grab a pen and paper if you'd like and, and absorb as much of this discussion as you can. Let me introduce our esteemed uh, guests tonight. First, in studio, we have Ron Craig, a member of the International Association of Bomb Technicians and Investigators and member of the Society for Explosives Engineers. He's also an experienced special effects supervisor with over 25 years' experience. He's worked on over 50 feature films, 10 television series, and numerous commercials. Ron Craig does not believe that uh, explosives were planted in the WTC buildings in advance. He does not believe in the controlled demolition theory. Ron Craig, first of all, thank you and uh, welcome. Thank you very much, Richard. It's glad to be, I'm glad to be aboard. All right, and uh, on the phone, uh, we have Richard Gage, is a San Francisco Bay Area architect, member of the American Institute of Architects, and founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Richard Gage, uh, welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Richard. It's great to be here. What I'm going to do is um, offer each of you, uh, first of all, a, a one-minute uh, introductory statement, if I could, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle uh, some of these issues dealing with Towers 1, 2, and finally 7, Building 7, Mysterious Building 7, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll tackle towards the end. But, uh, Richard, first of all, uh, an introductory statement from you. Well, sure. Um... I've been an architect for 20 years and have uh, worked on numerous uh, steel-framed, fireproofed uh, buildings over the years. I'd like to thank you for taking on this weighty subject, Richard. Uh, I think the future of our country is actually at stake here. In fact, the first casualty of, war, of the war on terror was, in fact, the right to question it, the war on terror. We're asking critical questions based on scientific evidence that call for a new investigation. And I want to thank uh, Mr. Craig also for having the courage to debate us tonight, because um, to my knowledge, there's only been one other individual willing to support the official story of the destruction of these three World Trade Center skyscrapers in an open forum like this. And of course, um, we're delighted to have him publicly supporting a new investigation of World Trade Center 7 as well. This means a whole lot to us, uh, albeit uh, coming from an expert um, actually in the art of illusion or making uh, fake explosions for Hollywood movies. I wish I could be with you guys in the studio uh, 
so that um, Ron could look me in the eye while making some of these very doubtful assertions that he's been responsible for. Uh, I've been, I, I'd like... Uh, that can be arranged. Like that can everything. be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> Great. At a future date. We'll do that Sorry. next time. Okay. Um, 2,744 of our own people perished in these buildings, and many of their family members are out in the streets actively supporting a new investigation and the work of us, the architects and engineers, for 9-11 Truth. Um, those that are staking their reputations, credibility, and careers on the line. That's what we're doing, and for what? A conspiracy theory? No, even Michael Heimbach, uh, FBI's assistant director of counterterrorism, notes in a letter last year to us that our theory is backed by thorough research and analysis. The American Institute of Architects has, in fact, allowed us and even encouraged us to show our evidence at a booth at their national and local AIA conventions to tens of thousands of fellow architects. Richard, let me stop the you there. The last time we met in this forum, we had only 200 uh, active uh, professionals signing our petition. Now we have 1,000, a th a okay. totaling 10,000 years of combined technical experience. Richard Gage, thank Why? you for that. Let's, uh, let's uh, hear from Ron Craig. Well, to begin with, uh, I want to congratulate uh, Richard Gage on a presentation that he did in Montreal that was very well received and got very positive reviews in the press. I think it's important that we move the dialogue forward by having an open discussion where we openly discuss not only the technical and the scientific, but also the theories of why the buildings collapsed. In my view, the buildings collapsed not because of explosives. There's absolutely no evidence that explosives were used. However, the buildings did collapse, and nearly 3,000 people died. And it's our mission, our responsibility, to make sure that we understand why that occurred so it doesn't happen again. But I can assure the listeners it wasn't explosives that brought them down. All right. Uh, short and succinct. Uh, let's um, uh, collect ourselves and uh, get ready when we return uh, to discuss the official story. And uh, Richard uh, Gage, again, is with us on the line, a member of the International Association of Bomb... Uh, I'm sorry, Richard Gage is a San Francisco Bay Area architect, member of the American Institute of Architects and founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11, Ron Craig in studio, member of the International Association of Bomb Technicians. I'm back with more. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Not sure if we're going to change any minds uh, tonight one way or the other. You may believe the, uh, the World Trade Center buildings were brought down by uh, controlled demolition. You may believe that they were, in fact, brought down by uh, airplanes and fire damage. Let me uh, direct you to the website, richardserrett.com, and there is an online poll there asking that very question. Were the World Trade Center towers brought down by controlled demolition on 9-11? And uh, we'll, we'll sort of track this throughout the evening. Uh, so far, 81.6% say yes, they were brought down by controlled demolition. 14.3% uh, say no, they were not. And 4.1% of you are not sure. As I say, we'll track that uh, throughout the evening, richardserrett.com. Uh, let me also mention briefly, that as George Genescu, uh, our uh, kind and uh, gentle soul who hosts a Big Band Sunday Night, mentioned prior to the show, we do have a television uh, crew uh, taping this tonight. And the reason for that is this is going to be included in Episode 2, I suspect, Episode 2 
of the uh, the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett television program, which is progressing quite nicely, uh, I should add. And uh, let me direct you to another website very quickly because I've posted a message there. You'll want to check this out. I urge you to go there uh, quickly. And that is theconspiracyshow.com. There is a, a special mes- message posted there from me to you for all of those who are uh, wondering what's going on with the program. So... Uh, that'll bring you right up to date. Now, back to uh, the uh, debate at hand. Richard Gage in uh, San Francisco with uh, nine uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 uh, Truth. Certainly no a stranger to um, anyone who's been following this. This is a very an emotional uh, a debate. And as I say, we're, we're trying to tone down the rhetoric here. Richard Gage, let me ask you about the, uh, the official version. Uh, Flight 11 slamming into the uh, the North Tower at about a quarter to nine, uh, followed uh, about 20 minutes later by uh, Flight uh, 77 into the South Tower. Uh, what, uh, before we get into the actual uh, behavior of the building during the collapse, did you have any comments, anything you'd like to talk about in terms of, uh, of the timeline and the official story here as to what actually happened uh, when we're told those planes hit the buildings? The NIST report did a fairly decent job uh, as far as they went, but they omit more than half of the available evidence. Now, our opponents, uh, and this evidence uh, supports overwhelmingly, clearly, and convincingly the hypothesis of engineered destruction of these buildings. This is why we have now a 1,000 architects and engineers. These reports, for instance, the NIST report, stops at the moment. Its analysis stops before the building came down. They spent $20 million and had 10,000 pages over three years, and they completely stopped the report before the building actually collapses. Uh, and this is an outrage. Uh, it's, uh, structural engineers do this every day for a living, calculate the ability of the building below, which was not on fire, to resist uh, the building mass above that were, was said to have fallen on it. So this is a, a complete problem for the official story. The FEMA report is uh, is acknowledged by the uh, fire the fire protection engineers fire engineering magazine as being a half baked farce with political uh, ends in mind uh, in mind uh, apparently. So this is extremely important. Uh, half of the 9-11 commissioners have now come out saying they were lied to, they were set up to fail. So we must have a real investigation. And uh, the, what we find is that those who don't support a real investigation make demands of us to speculate, for instance, about who, why, and how these buildings were destroyed and how they could have gotten away with it, when in fact a real investigation, which I hope Mr. Craig will support uh, relative to the Twin Towers as well as Building 7, um, uh, will join us in. Uh, I also want to uh, acknowledge that there are a series of logical fallacies that are used against us that we want to watch out for tonight. I don't think Mr. Craig will be using these, but one of them is to confuse and complicate the evidence, uh, uh, for instance, stating that uh, Building 7 uh, or even the Twin Towers came down at free fall speed. This is a matter of for physics experts, and when it's actually common sense. Or accusing us of cherry-picking the evidence, when in fact we're just looking at the other half of the evidence 
that's been missing. Or saying, for instance, I can't figure out how they could have done it, therefore it couldn't have happened. Or false humility, for instance, um, citing that uh, not an expert in that area, when much of this is, in fact, uh, uh, common sense. An appeal to authority is another one, whether it's NIST or one's own authority and membership associations. Um, so statements also, uh, like straw man arguments, for instance, using a photograph of firemen uh, stating that they're looking at molten metal when, in fact, we never made such claims about this particular photograph, and not distinguishing between legitimate and illegitimate 9-11 truth websites. So choosing information from other websites in an attempt to discredit us by association. All of these things uh, I know he won't do tonight, but I think we should be on the lookout for them. All right. Uh, Ron Craig, uh, your response to that. Well, first of all, I want to assure the listening audience that I'm not a master of illusion, although I am. I've done it professionally for 25 years. But I'm also a very serious student of explosives and fire. In fact, I teach at a university where I teach fourth-year university students on that subject. I lecture throughout North America to CSI groups and also to bomb tech groups as well and improvise explosive devices, homemade explosives, and booby traps. So I certainly have a great deal of expertise in this field. I also would like to point out that I'm a fully trained firefighter. So for me, the concern is you can say anything about the collapse of the buildings, but the question is, does the evidence does the evidence support the claims? And if I listen quite carefully to Mr. Gage and I read his website and I want to refer to it, I hear many things about the use of explosives that technically couldn't have taken place. For example, let me give you an example. If the amount of explosives that were required to bring down one or two, building one or two, were actually used in the building, the signature would be completely different than what we saw. That's science. The math doesn't lie. There's a certain amount of explosives required to bring down the buildings if you use explosives on every beam, and if you did that, the effect would be completely different than what we saw. So that's the first barrier we have to overcome. Uh, Let me ask you, though, uh, before we get into the explosives... Let me ask you about the behavior of the buildings during the collapse. And we've often heard it uh, said that they appear to fall almost within their own footprint. Uh, Let me ask you, uh, Ron, and then Richard, you can respond to this. Uh, Ron, how do you you account for that? Uh, When when, when the, the common person looks at those towers falling almost into their own footprint, uh, we, we've, we've all seen those huge hotels brought down in Las Vegas by controlled demolition. The similarities are eerie. Uh, and and uh, just, on, uh, just on, the, uh, on a gut level, when you look at that, you have to... I mean, even Dan Rather on CBS made that analogy. They look like they've been brought down by controlled demolition. A building is under great force from gravity constantly. We don't see it. We're sitting in a modern building here in the radio studio, but it's under a lot of pressure, a lot of tension, a lot of stress is on this building. And what we have are structural members that actually support the building. If any of those structural members start to fail, what occurs is a collapse. Collapses are quite common. They're not common to big buildings. We're not used to seeing them, which is why when we look at building one and two and seven, it makes such an impression on us. But firefighters every day see building collapses. In fact, it's the number two killer of firefighters uh, worldwide is building collapse. So your question is, why did the buildings fall the way they did? Fire, when it attacks the connections to a building, is actually causing that building to deconstruct. And that's what was occurring in building one, two, and seven. Wouldn't those core columns then have to all fail at precisely the 
same time in order for that building to fall in the manner that it did? No, because when a building starts to deconstruct, it follows the path of least resistance and it comes down. We've seen that with Let's bridges. We've we've seen that that we've seen that with bridges. Yes, we've we've I seen think that it's with. Really important. Okay. Uh, you brought up a critical uh, point. Uh, the path of least resistance is over. Buildings fall asymmetrically, organically when they have asymmetrical and organic damage, like plane impacts, for instance, in fires. This building, one second it is still, the next second. It is in complete uh, acceleration straight down through the path of greatest resistance. The 80,000 tons of structural steel that was designed to resist any such collapse, in fact, they're three to five times stronger than they need to be. Let's stop and think about this. This 15-story section in the, in, Bill, in the North Tower begins suddenly, without warning, uh, smoothly and symmetrically uh, diving straight down uh, toward its own footprint. And, and this can't happen uh, unless, uh, as Richard said, all of uh, these core columns at least are, are severed. And in fact, this upper story section, this 15-story section, is destroying itself. In four seconds, it is completely gone. After that, there is nothing to crush the rest of the building below it in any of the photographs or the videos. In fact, the rest of the building is destroying itself, and it turns out to be at two-thirds of freefall acceleration, accelerating almost as fast as the debris falling alongside it. All right, Richard Gage, hold on. Ron Craig in studio. Stay put. I'll let you uh, respond to uh, Richard there, Ron. And uh, we'll, as I say, get to uh, calls towards the, uh, the latter stages of the program. Just sit back and uh, take it all in as we debate civilly, respectfully. And this doesn't happen a whole lot in the media, but we do it here as a matter of course. What brought down the Twin Tower buildings on 9-11? My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Richard Gage on the phone, San Francisco Bay Area architect, member of the American Institute of Architects and founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, Ron Craig in studio, the International Society of Explosives Engineers, and also a, an experienced special effects supervisor uh, with over 25 years' experience, however, uh, notwithstanding, he says that uh, what we saw happen on uh, 9-11 was not sleight of hand or an illusion. There was no advanced uh, explosives planted in those buildings. Richard uh, Gage, of course, would beg to differ. Now, I want uh, Ron to respond to uh, what uh, you said earlier, Richard, and, and, and it was uh, uh, in response to my original question, and that is, what appeared to be a very symmetrical fall of the uh, of, uh, descent of the building. And again, I'm not quite clear uh, how it is that, that uh, you could have something like that unless all of the core columns failed at precisely the same time. And I think a, a lot of people would have, their, have, would have trouble wrapping their heads around how that could happen. Well, first of all, I want to uh, I want to rebut what Richard has said about buildings and freefall speeds, and it hasn't happened. It doesn't happen. I'd like all of the uh, listeners to go to YouTube and punch in the Delft University building in Denmark. It was a very significant fire that took place inside the uh, library building itself, and 
there was very little flame seen for a number of hours. In other words, it had burned for a number of hours. And suddenly, without warning, the entire building collapsed. And if you look at it, it descends in exactly the same pattern, the same way as the we saw with buildings one and two, although on a smaller scale. So to say that it doesn't happen is totally technically incorrect. It does happen. Well, the, the, the building did not totally collapse. It was, it was simply a partial collapse, and there was plenty of warning. There were large, gradual deformations, which we would expect in any destruction due to fire because it's an organic process that moves through a building every 20 minutes or so. Actually, there were no deformations. There were no deformations. The building suddenly collapsed. And if you look at it, you see explosive squibs come out from the building that look identical to the squibs that came out of building one and two, according to you. And, And also, Richard, if I may make the point, if you actually look at the footage, you can see that there's very little fire inside the building, which is one of the claims that's made in your slideshow, which is there's very little fire inside the building. Why did it collapse? So well, if you fact, look at that as an example, power. you find out that, in fact, uh, your case is significantly weakened. Let's see. Uh, the, the fires in the South Tower, after only 56 minutes, were going out, uh, evidenced by the black smoke. They were oxygen-starved and cool. And uh, compare that to fires that have lasted uh, uh, up to 17, 24 hours, burning over many, many floors. No steel frame high-rise has ever collapsed due to fire, and yet we have three on 9-11. And we'll get to Building 7, which wasn't hit by an airplane. But relative to the Twin Towers, these were relatively... Uh, small fires. And, and the fire is irrelevant, uh, actually, because what we see is the evidence for explosive demolition. Let's discuss that. We have uh, sudden bands of explosions wrapping around the building, described by up to a hundred firefighters and first responders, recorded uh, on audio tape that we didn't even know about until August of 2005, and that wasn't included in any of the official reports. They're describing flashes of light at the onset of this destruction uh, on several floors. They're describing bands of explosions, pop, 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 and then debris started flying everywhere. In fact, that debris is flying at an instant acceleration of 50 to 70 miles per hour and lands 600 feet away from the building. The physics of this suggests that they can only be propelled by explosives. Well, first of all, you're getting two things confused here in the argument. So let's deal with each of them separately and logically. Let's deal with the fire. I've heard in your slideshow, and I've also heard other speakers say it was a very lazy fire inside World Trade Center Building 1 and 2 because we could see black smoke, which indicates that it was in its latter stages and the fire had essentially gone out. And that's not correct. When you see black smoke, it can be indicative of that, but it also can be indicative of a very hot hydrocarbon fire. And by hydrocarbon, I don't mean the fuel from the plane. I'm talking about uh, plastics that burn. In fact, if you go to the, uh, you know, some of the literature that's done on fire engineering, you will find that office fires are actually hotter than house fires, that in fact they're very significant, and we have to understand those fire loads. That's the first point I want to make. The second point is an explosive, when it goes off and changes from a solid to a gas, almost instantly creating heat and pressure, does so with a very specific signature. People can say, I heard cracks and bangs. I would expect that if a building was going to collapse and was in the, in the process of collapsing, 
but that does not mean that it was explosives. The signatures that came from that building were absolutely not explosive signatures. There's no way that you could say that they were explosive signatures, except if you were wishing they were, and there were no well, explosives used. Regarding the, um, the, the fires, uh, we have Chief Oreo Palmer in the 78th floor saying there's two isolated pockets of fire. This is where the airplane impacted. They were out. Ten minutes later, uh, the, the explosions began. Now, they wouldn't be seeing flashes of light associated with the sounds of explosions, associated with the visual bands of explosions forcing debris out of the side, every side of the World Trade Center towers, if they weren't explosions. Well, first of all, if we are talking about explosions knocking out all of the beams, is that what you're claiming, that all of the core beams would be knocked out and that would, would precipitate the collapse? Is that your argument, Richard? What else could cause the building to suddenly, one second after it still descends symmetrically, smoothly, suddenly, and accelerating without any jolt or impact? There is no stopping of this building when it meets the other building. The only way that could happen is if, in fact, those core columns were removed. And that's just the plain common sense of it, even without all the other massive uh, evidence for explosions, such as you mentioned, the squibs going off 10, 20, 40, even 60 stories down below this canopy of violent destruction. Let's talk about those squibs. Isolated jets are uh, coming out of the building at 160 to 200 feet per second. Let's talk about those squibs because for many people that is an, a signature of a controlled demolition. Uh, explain, uh, first of all, Ron, uh, why those squibs that, uh, and we've seen them in the videos and the stills, why that, that wouldn't necessarily be, in your mind, the, the signature of a controlled demolition. Again, I want people to go and punch into YouTube the Delft building, and just before the collapse starts, look at the explosive squibs that take place just below the collapse line, and they look identical to the squibs that came out of World Trade Center Building 1 and 2. What causes the fire, the fire in the Delft building was started, by the way, because a water pipe busted and flooded a uh, coffee maker, which started a fire, which spread very quickly and ended up burning the entire building to the point where, as Richard has pointed out, the point where the fire was concentrated the building actually collapsed. What causes squibs is as a building is coming down, air is being compressed and forced through ducts, through openings, and as a result, it comes out as dust. That's seen in all types of buildings that collapse when firefighters are there and they're looking at them. But to us, we haven't seen them before, so we immediately attribute them to explosives. Well, I want to go back to the... Richard, I want to go back to the 47... First, let's Richard. The floor plan of the building, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, because they're, this are, these are open office planning. Sixty feet away from the core structure is the perimeter. You can't have uh, air being pushed down through the elevator hoistways and, and, and have it somehow appear as an isolated explosive ejection 60 feet away. It would fill the, uh, the, the open office uniformly and blow out maybe all the windows or none of them, but not these highly focalized, pinpoint accurate, violent ejections that we see that are not dust or air, but uh, pulverized building materials. Right. Uh to begin with, there were holes between the floors. That was actually precipitated the spread of the fire. That was caused because as a tenant would come into the building, they would put a scare staircase between floors. Also, there were holes that were put between the floors to run up uh, all types of electrical equipment and wires. So definitely, without question, the, the 
air didn't have to come through the shaft to push out those squibs. So that that's a fact. But but I want to go back, Richard, I want to go back to the hard technical fact here because I've, I've heard all of this stuff before. But you've admitted that there are 47 core beams on each floor. Is that correct? There are columns. Say columns. I stand corrected. There are columns. 47 on each floor times 110 floors. Is that correct? Yes. So we would have to have an explosive charge on each of those beams to actually blow them so that we would have that phenomenon occur that you say was caused by explosives. Yes. So what we're dealing with now is how much explosives would it take to actually blow those columns? Well, it would be pallets full of explosives, and the obvious question is, how do you do this uh, unnoticed? You don't. You'd have to have the uh, cooperation of security, obviously, which is why we need a real investigation that includes them. You would also need to have the cover operation, such as renovations, remodels. The nine months prior to 9-11, for instance, we had the largest elevator modernization in history, which gave ACE Elevator access, unlimited access, behind the scenes where they wouldn't have been seen by the occupants of the building. And it's possible, plausible, that these uh, explosives, whatever they were, uh, could have been planted uh, and would, they would have given them access to the core columns and beams uh, in the area. Let's go back to these core beams because we really have to start talking detail here instead of philosophy. Okay? So what we have is we have 47 of these columns on each of the floors. And if I recall correctly, the columns actually measured 36 inches deep and they were 14 inches wide and they were 3 inches thick. That is a very considerable piece of steel to cut through with an explosive. That means that the only charge that would cut through it would be a linear shape charge. It would be well, a very actually, significant. That's not true. Oh, it's not well, what, true, Richard. What you would do. Mm-hmm. Sorry. What what you would do, uh, according to Gordon Ross, who's researched this uh, more than uh, some of uh, those on our team, is he suggests that there was a concussive uh, blast on the side of the core columns that would break the weld through lateral force. And this uh, bears out, if you look at the evidence in the photographs, many of these uh, column ends are concave on one side, uh, convex on the other. I encourage uh, our listeners to go to the website and and look at the uh, information there, the DVD, uh, and you can download uh, a chart card. Uh, which uh, is actually an outline of the evidence we're going through. Oh, okay, Richard. Is that possible? No, what that's he's saying, not possible. Ron? Let me explain why. In my classes, I show a, an explosion that takes place. It is a car with uh, about 250 kilograms of explosive. Beside it is a steel post, a very significant steel post. It's a street scene somewhere in the world. As the explosion goes off, you can clearly see the detonation wave come out, but it wraps around the pole and goes by it, and it doesn't push it over. Explosives have to be very focused to cut through three inches of steel. Anyone that believes that by placing an explosive adjacent to it, you're going to break the welds is living in a different realm. The welds are actually, the welds are actually stronger, the welds are actually stronger than the steel, and that's a requirement according to the building codes. Let's go well, back why, to these beams. Did, Let's go wait, back to the on, beams. Richard, fair. hang on. Let, let me let me finish my point. Yeah, we'll Richard, let back. run, and then I'll have you take a run out of here. So what we need to do then is we have to say, if we put a pile of explosive beside the beams, it's not going to knock it out. Only a linear-shaped charge would do it. So what size of linear-shaped charge, charge would we require? I actually took the time to do very careful calculations. And what we're looking at is approximately 15 pounds TNT equivalent of explosive in a linear shape charge on each beam. 
What we're talking about is over a thousand pounds per floor. That means that at the moment that it went off, we would have over 100,000 pounds of explosive going off. That signature would break windows throughout Manhattan, which did not well, happen. Secondly, we'll, we'll secondly, the, secondly, the explosive blast would go out 300 feet past the debris piles. That's physics, Richard. That's not imagination. Okay, that's let, what would happen. Richard, respond. This is the explosives that you're accustomed to, Ron. But we'll be talking in a moment about explosives that you know very little about and are outside the field of your experience. Regarding the columns, if the weld points are the weakest uh, uh, part, uh, the strongest part of the column uh, structure, then why, in fact, did each of these columns land in 30-foot lengths, which were their original lengths, uh, strewn about in a 1,200-foot radius, uh, shredded? Uh, buildings don't behave like this. Uh, steel is ductile. It bends in a normal uh, collapse. It, it doesn't uh, uh, sever at its joints. Well, I, I can tell you why they fell in 30-foot lengths is because they were 30 feet long. In fact, in one of my presentations that I did, I actually showed a clip of film of the building being constructed and being bolted into place, and they were 30 feet long. So therefore, you would expect that when they become a debris pile, they'd be 30 feet long, and that's exactly what occurred, Richard. Well, let's, let's uh, come back, and, and let's talk about uh, some more interesting aspects of this, one of which is the symmetry. Uh, there seems to be a lot of symmetry uh, involved in the collapse, uh, and um, uh, we'll uh, address that with Richard Gage, San Francisco Bay Area architect, and of course founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11, Ron Craig, with the International Society of Explosives Engineers. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. I, I do still find it odd that um, the, uh, the Twin Tower collapses exhibited remarkable uh, symmetry in, in many respects. Uh, but Richard, you were talking about the, the debris uh, field. And let's talk about the symmetry of the debris field and, and what you find extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary about that. Well, in an explosion, which people will see on our DVD, uh, all of this evidence, by the way, is on our two-hour and our 10-minute, 30-minute, 60-minute companion edition, uh, two DVDs. Um, uh, it's, it's very clearly laid out, and what, the, what people will see is that relative to uh, explosions, they produce symmetrical debris fields where debris is shattered, uh, scattered outward, uh, and as I mentioned, up to 600 feet from each of these buildings. This is extraordinary. The physics alone is such that it takes the energy of a 300-pound uh, uh, cannonball uh, to, to eject a nine-ton perimeter wall units uh, 600 feet at 50 mile per hour uh, instant acceleration out of the sides of these buildings. We also see these upward, outward arching streamers uh, uh, with pyroclastic-like uh, clouds trailing them, expanding from the hot gases, much hotter than these uh, fires that we see, for, particularly in the South Tower. All right, Ron, how do you account for this uh, um, uh, remarkable symmetry of debris? 
Well, first of all, let's look at some of the buildings that Mr. Gage has on his website. I think that's important to reference those. And what he's showing is he's showing the buildings falling in certain attitudes to prove his point. The fact is, when an engineer is given the responsibility to drop a building, he or she has to make sure that the building is going to drop so that it causes no other damage to any other building or structure, so that it's manageable in terms of being uh, carted away. Okay, fair enough. So, as an engineer going in to look at a building, you can decide whether it's going to drop right, left, whether it's going to drop slowly, whether it's going to drop fast. All of those things can be done. But the fact of the matter is, is that the debris pile will be the debris pile that occurs when the building falls, because sometimes they make mistakes, which is why on YouTube we see many buildings that didn't fall the way that they wanted them to fall. Let me also point out to you that the buildings that are purposefully dropped have all of the windows taken out. They have core beams that are cut out, core columns cut out, so that the building is actually in a disadvantaged state to begin with, then they attack the beams in a, in a sequence that will cause it to collapse. That clearly didn't happen with the World Trade Center building 1, 2, or 7. No beams were taken out. That means you would have to knock every single beam off, and I have no idea how you could predict it would go into a symmetrical pile. It's totally impossible to do that. It's going to come down as it comes down because of its weight and because of the beam structure and the column structure. Uh, Richard, well, response? What we would have, what, what we don't have uh, is is a stack of floors found at the bottom of either of the Twin Towers. Uh, they fall uh, symmetrically, but we would expect 110 floors that have 4-inch thick and 5-inch thick concrete over 20-gauge metal decking. Guess how many floors are seen in the photographs at the bottom of either pile? None. And there's no metal decking. Uh, hardly any. And there's hardly any of the 6,000 trusses uh, available to be seen anywhere. These were pulverized, and you find small metal fragments in all of the dust samples uh, from them. How did that get pulverized to that degree? In addition, we have 90,000 tons of concrete that's completely pulverized, almost completely pulverized. Very few macroscopic chunks of concrete found at the pile, and since there are no floors there either. So what happened to this concrete? It's uh, three to one hundred, uh, three, three to three hundred microns in size, as documented by USGS, which documents also that up to thirty percent of this powder throughout Lower Manhattan was in fact concrete powder that is now the constituency of talcum powder. Where's the grinding mechanism that created all of this 90,000 tons of powder times two towers? One would That's expect to be, there, there would be pancaking. Uh, in, in, in other words, uh, one building or one floor uh, collapses, and uh, the weight of that floor uh, lands on top of another floor, etc., 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 and that causes uh, the, the structural failure, the weight of those, uh, those floors pancaked one on top of the other, and uh, as Richard says, you would expect to see uh, those, those layers, those pancakes, uh, at the bottom once the building comes down. And, and so where are the pancakes? Excellent question, and, and I think that uh, I have to ask Richard one question for clarification. So you're saying, Richard, that when the explosives went off, they pulverized the concrete into absolute dust. I'm saying there's very few macroscopic chunks of concrete found at the base, and it is spread over entire lower Manhattan, making its way in huge clouds, thick, 
suspended pyroclastic-like clouds that made its way to no, I understand uh, New that. Jersey. No, I understand that. But what caused it to become microscopic? It was obviously, well, in your you view, explosive. And having a real investigation so no, that we no, can no. find out. No, no, I, I want to follow the logic. So you're saying it was explosives that caused that concrete to become that microscopic dust. I'm looking for any other alternative explanation because I don't enjoy spending uh, about 10 hours a day uh, working on trying to wake up the American people to what's happened to them. I'd much rather go back to work as an architect. Unfortunately, we have an example of what occurs when a thousand pounds of explosive, which is exactly the amount of explosive we need for each floor, goes off inside the World Trade Building. That happened when a truck loaded with explosives was, was brought into the parking area and exploded. It blew through four levels of floor and it caused uh, very little damage to the main beams themselves. In fact, it only displaced one significantly. And I can tell you now that I've looked at pictures, I've seen the photographic evidence, and I've spoke to, to the investigators that were there, and the concrete, concrete was broken up into chunks. It wasn't broken up into dust. You're talking about the Murrah building? No, I'm talking about the World Trade Center ah, building. In 93. The, in 93 when the truck was brought in. So we have a historical example here. So when equivalent of 1,000 pounds of TNT went off, it was actually 1,500 of urea nitrate, but it's equivalent of 1,000 pounds of TNT went off, it didn't create the uh, damage that Richard claimed would occur from explosives being used on a floor. Okay, but Ron, then how do you how do you how do you account for the, the pulverization then? The pulverization yeah, just because you can't figure out how it happened doesn't invalidate the evidence. Okay, let's run. No, 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 no. Richard, Richard. Thirty percent of this dust is in fact concrete. Where did okay, it come Richard, from? This you can't have it both ways. USGS. Right, Richard, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that explosives pulverized it into microscopic dust. But when I point out that when a thousand pounds of explosives went off on a floor and went through four floors, four layers, and it was thicker concrete, by the way, but when it went off, it broke it down into rubble. So you, you have to overcome that problem. What you're trying you to do know. is you're trying to overcome the physics of explosions. Explosions no. would not cause the cement to go into microscopic no. dust. What could, I, what could? What could cause that? Collapse. Collapse. Yes. We'll talk about uh, the evidence of very special explosives, in, uh, or in na including uh, nanothermite, in a moment. But what you're not acknowledging is the fact that 30% of the dust, up to 30%, uh, several tons, about the same amount of dust as there was concrete in the building, as a matter of fact, is composed of concrete. Uh, and this is like talcum powder, and you have not provided an explanation how this got there or how the uh, 220 acres of 20-gauge metal decking and 6,000 trusses completely uh, disappeared. Well, if I'm hearing this correctly, uh, the, the pulverization of, uh, of the debris cannot be explained, according to Ron Craig, by controlled demolition, uh, but it can't be explained by the official story, according to Richard Gage. So the mystery remains. And uh, yet another reason, uh, perhaps, to, uh, to reopen this investigation. You're listening to a two-hour debate on whether the uh, World Trade Center towers were brought down by controlled demolition. Ron Craig in studio from the International Society of Explosive Engineers and Richard Gage on the phone, of course, the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Just a reminder, this two-hour debate is being uh, taped. We have a television crew in studio, and excerpts from this will be used in Episode 2 of our television project, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, which um, is well underway and a lot of positive uh, progress being made, and we're hoping that uh, one day I can uh, sit in front of this microphone and tell you that it is uh, going to be uh, seen around the world in the English language uh, market. And um, uh, I want to also direct you to the website, theconspiracyshow.com, and there is a a special uh, message that I've posted there. I urge you to read that, and there's some interesting material uh, there for you to look at, theconspiracyshow.com. Also, a quick note. On the uh, the 19th, uh, that is uh, the Tuesday, that's um, January the 19th. I am going to be, uh, once again, on the Michael Corrin uh, television show, and we'll be uh, discussing vaccines. All right, back to the debate at hand. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, Richard, which you would certainly characterize as some interesting artifacts uh, that were purported to have been found in the debris. Uh, You you, you start, and then we'll, uh, we'll get Ron's response. Yeah, this this is the most fascinating part of the story uh, for for many of us. The USGS, U.S. Geological Survey, uh, finds and documents in their dust studies. They're doing toxicological studies. Uh, They find that up to 5% of the contents of this dust uh, throughout lower Manhattan has these iron spheres in them. Uh, some of them are the size of a, a human hair, most of them. Some are a little larger. Uh, but uh, 6% of the dust uh, is comprised of uh, this, these uh, iron spheres. Now, they, they document this clearly. There's no question. They also note that it can only be the result uh, of previously molten iron that has been airborne. So how does it become the size of a, the diameter of a human hair? Now, R.J. Lee finds this also in their toxicological studies on top of the Deutsche Bank building. It's so common that they, in fact, use it as a signature uh, marker uh, for what the World Trade Center dust is like. Now, many of these dust samples um, are collected even only 10 minutes, 20 minutes uh, even, after the collapse of the towers. So they're not polluted by dust uh, cleanup operations, welders and so forth. The, the only way these spheres uh, could have been formed uh, is in uh, an event where uh, explosive energy is atomizing the uh, molten iron. Now, how does molten iron get into the dust? Uh, up at the t- uh, from, uh, it has to be up at the top of each of these towers, given the immense spread of this uh, material. Uh, so how does molten iron uh, could, how could it get uh, up there? Well, it can only be the result of significant aluminothermic reactions uh, by the ton, as uh, Mr. Craig uh, suggests. There would have to be several tons of this material. In fact, we not only find uh, these uh, USGS, what USGS finds in the dust samples, um, but we find, uh, in fact, uh, several pools of molten uh, iron, uh, the, the firemen describe it as molten steel because they don't know the difference, but studies have uh, found 
that it is in fact uh, XEDS studies find that it is in fact molten iron. Uh, the previously molten iron uh, uh, cools and becomes these meteorites. They call them. They're pulling them up by the ton. Okay, just explain to me, uh, iron. Richard. They explain rust. to me very They're quickly before I get Ron to respond. Explain very quickly to me and the audience again how iron spheres and and uh, molten iron uh, found in the dust. Uh, is a signature of a controlled demolition? Well, it's a signature of aluminothermic reactions, thermite. Uh, thermite is an incendiary uh, used to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. And in fact, also found in the dust is very curious uh, small red-gray chips uh, that we'll talk about in a moment uh, that are much more powerful than normal thermite. They're called super thermite. We'll get into that, but I don't want to obfuscate okay. the issue. Okay, Ron, how do you account then for these uh, iron spheres and molten iron uh, uh, in the dust? Well, I'm actually looking at the USGS report, which is directly in front of me, and this ta it says this table summarizes data for major elements and all trace elements analyzed in the World Trade Center dust uh, and, and, w and uh, beam coating samples, and it doesn't reference those spheres at all, Richard. You're saying there's well, nothing uh, in the, in that, nothing in the you report. You really need to become familiar with this evidence. I'd be happy to email it to you. It's in many of the USGS reports. I'm so can you, can you tell right me here. exactly what element it is and in what percentage, in either part per million or in percentage, so that I can look oh, it up sure. on the report? It, uh, it's Table 3 from R.J. Lee Group, uh, which is taking its data from mm -hmm. the USGS, and they find that background mean composition of dust is only 0.04, iron particles, but there's up to 6% in the dust, and so uh, that's uh, really important. I'll email that to you. Were the, was this mentioned in the NIST report? Uh, the NIST report completely uh, ejects any mention of molten uh, or, or steel that FEMA actually documents, the melting of steel, the hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel uh, that they document in Appendix C. Very clearly, uh, again, fires and jet fuel do not melt Steel, but something melted this steel, and, and uh, FEMA noted it very, very carefully. Hot, hot sulfur corrosion attack, intergranular melting. How does molten sulfur, molten uh, uh, iron, invade the grain boundaries of the steel? Okay, this let me ask. Critically important, and NIST ejected it from their final report on WTC7. Ron, were the fires hot enough? Uh, whether it was a combination of the diesel fuel and uh, you're talking about office furniture and, and, and paper, tons and tons of paper, were the office uh, were the fires hot enough to to not necessarily uh, 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 cut steel but weaken it sufficiently? Well, before I answer that question, I'm still looking at my tables that are in front of me, and I see that in terms of iron, that 1.87% of the actual samples showed that there was iron in it. In other words, Richard's assumption that there was this large amount is not borne out by the tables. That's my first uh, observation well, here. In fact, three. I actually have a look, and I see that there was more zinc present in the actual samples. In fact, uh, two, 2,990 parts per million of zinc. So I don't see where those spheres come from. Let well, me address your I'll question. I'll email that to you, Ron. You, you can, uh, let, you can let me address Richard's question, which was, is it, was it hot enough to melt steel? And clearly that was not the case. And there was no claim made that it actually did melt steel. 
Was well, it hot enough no to weaken it? Absolutely, absolutely, but, absolutely hot enough to weaken it. And in fact, well, as we move into Building 7, we're going to have an interesting conversation about it. I, I guess I come from a perspective that goes like this. You can say anything, but the question is what was observed and what can be scientifically verified. So we can't verify that explosives were used in the World Trade Center building because we didn't see the signature. And let me well, also on. point out... Well, let me also Richard point says out, Richard. we clearly did see the signature. No. And let me point out that if you do a calculation, which I did, of the actual pressure that would be generated on each floor as the explosives went off, it would be enough to knock off the aluminum cladding that was on the outside of the building, and that clearly didn't happen. So there's a whole body of evidence that shows us that explosives weren't used. Okay, let's uh, come back. Uh, uh, Richard, I'm, I'm guessing, would say, well, ex ex only the explosives that you're familiar with, Ron Craig. Let's come back and talk about uh, thermite and nanothermite when we uh, regroup on the other side. The uh, World Trade Center towers brought down by controlled demolition on 9-11. 83.6% of you now say yes. 13.4% say no. 3% remain unsure. Well, stick around and uh, you may be uh, swayed one way or the other. Don't go away. The 9-11 Commission report has been released for some time now. Some folks are still asking questions about what happened that day. A Zogby poll commissioned just last month by 911truth.org found that a whopping 42% of Americans think the government and the 9-11 Commission are covering something up. You think about it, you say something else had to go on here. Something else is going on here. This just don't happen like this if when a plane hits the 80th floor of a building and the lobby gets blown out. We made it at least two blocks and we started running. Floor by floor, it started popping out. It was like, was it, if they had detonated, yeah, detonated, they were planned yeah. to take down a building. Boom, 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 All the way down. I was watching it and running. It sounded like gunfire. You know, bang, 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 bang. And then, and then all of a sudden, three big explosions. I tried to leave the building, but as soon as I got outside, I heard a second explosion and another rumble and more smoke and more dust. We set up uh, headquarters at 75 Barclay Street, which was right there with the police commissioner, the fire commissioner, the head of emergency management, and we were operating out of there when we were told that the World Trade Center was going to collapse. And it did collapse. We've heard reports of secondary explosions after the aircraft impacted, whether in fact there wasn't something else at the base of the towers that in fact were the coup de grace to bring them to the ground. This was clearly, the, the, the way the structure is collapsing, this was the result of something that was planned. This is not, it's not accidental that the first tower just happened to collapse and then the second tower just happened to collapse in exactly the same way. How they accomplished this, we don't know. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. We need to have this discussion, and we need to do it responsibly, and we need to do it now. And it's not disrespectful to the, uh, the victims of 9-11 to, to, uh, to seek out the truth, wherever it may lead us. And there are uh, sufficient loose threads uh, I, I can assure you at the end of this program that will require us uh, to revisit it again and again, and we will, uh, and we'll do it as long as it takes uh, to get uh, to, some, uh, to some truth and to some answers. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, Richard Gage and Ron Craig will, uh, will meet again, not only on this radio uh, show, but I will pledge to you on our uh, television show, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, uh, we will uh, we will get these uh, gentlemen in studio face-to-face, -face, and I commend you both uh, on... Uh, 
your uh, your your levels of expertise and and more importantly perhaps uh, your civility and mutual respect because uh, the days I think of of dragging uh, Richard Gage onto uh, Hannity and Combs and have him lambasted uh, uh, you know in a five minute segment. Uh, or, uh, you know, having someone like Ron Craig shouted down by 9-11 truthers, that has to end. That has to end. Do we both agree? I, yeah. I agree. And, and I, I want to applaud Richard Gage for his uh, tireless effort in communicating his point of view. I think it is very important that all points of view be communicated about this issue. Ron, just uh, let's uh, put the cards on the table. You don't believe it was controlled demolition, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you would agree. That doesn't necessarily mean it was uh, not an inside job, correct? You, you know, my expertise is explosives and blowing things up. That's where my expertise lies. So to ask me questions about whether cell phones can be communicated from airliners is outside of my expertise. So I don't hold views on those. I often say that I'm like a... Uh, I guess the best analogy is, is that I'm a, I'm a medical examiner and I'm asked to come to a crime scene and I look at the body on the ground and I say, yeah, it was stabbed or yes, it was hit. The fact is I'm not concerned at that moment whether that person belonged to a radical organization, whether they belonged to an anarchist group and that's why they ended up there. That's up for the homicide detectives to determine. So what my, my concern is, were explosives used in the building? And my analysis is, is no, they were not. I'll leave it up to others to discuss the other issues of this in this debate. Richard, uh, Richard Gage, uh, if uh, you could be convinced that it wasn't controlled demolition, uh, that would you agree that wouldn't necessarily mean that uh, you know the 9/11 truth movement uh, is over? Uh, it, 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 the the fact that it, or the theory that it could have been an inside job doesn't necessarily rest with controlled demolition theory, correct? Uh, I'll follow in the in the thinking of uh, Mr. Craig. I, I'm an architect. I represent 1,000 architects who stake their reputation on the line based on the fraudulent, unscientific reports that we've been given uh, that have ignored over half of the evidence that we're now talking about. Uh, I don't know about inside job. What I am doing is presenting to the American people the evidence that they have not seen in the mainstream media, uh, such as the third worst structural failure in modern history, the collapse of 47-story World Trade Center 7 at freefall acceleration. They have not seen that. So our job is to bring that to their attention so we can get a real investigation. Now, what's critical is that we acknowledge the evidence that is in front of our face. And we just heard uh, Mr. Craig ignore and, in fact, deny the evidence for these iron spheres when, in fact, R.J. Lee states that they're so common that they're used as a signature component of the WTC dust. And the USGS acknowledges that up to 6% of the dust is composed of them. Now, if that's true, then the temperatures required to melt iron is about 2,800 degrees. Ron Craig knows that fires don't get that hot. They get maybe 14, 16, maybe even 1,800 degrees. Where did the heat come from? The heat could only have come from an aluminothermic uh, uh, response uh, uh, reaction, uh, many thousands uh, of, the, of such things, and we have, they're made of iron. That can only have come molten iron from thermite. And so we have evidence of thermite in uh, not only these spheres, 
but in these uh, small red-gray chips that we're going to talk about in the destruction, uh, the, the melting, the corrosion of the steel, the only piece of steel saved uh, for, from, from Building 7, happens to have in it a severe corrosion, which we talked about. Now, this evidence has to be looked at squarely. It can't be hand-waved off as if it doesn't exist. And that's what our opponents try to do, and that's what NIST and the 9-11 Commission report did. Ron, Craig, what is, in your expertise in the area of explosives, what is thermite, and is it capable of doing uh, what Richard Gage says it's capable of doing? Thermite is a pyrotechnic mixture that's made up of iron oxide, and it's also made up of uh, another common element, which is aluminum dust, right? And when the two are mixed together and you set it afire, it burns extremely vigorously, and it will, in fact, melt steel. That's a fact. When I checked uh, through all of the literature in fire and explosion investigation, I didn't find one incident where it had ever been used to demolish a building, not one. And in fact, if you, if you look at the NFPA 921 guidebook for fire and arson and explosion investigation, which is the standard, the du duty of care that's required if you are testifying in court about an explosion or fire, it clearly indicates that although there have been several allegations that this material has been used, in every case, scientific analysis proved that it was not used. So it's not a common material, and it's certainly, uh, for anybody that's interested in how it works, I urge you to go to YouTube, punch in uh, the Mythbusters, and take a look at 1,000 pounds of thermite on a car. They put it on top of the car with the intention to burn it in half, and it didn't even completely burn through the entire roof. Well, we don't know what kind of thermite that might have been, but what we do know is that back in 1984, or in 1999, there's a patented linear-shaped charge that's designed specifically for thermite that ejects material in hundreds of milliseconds. This is on our website uh, for all of your listeners to, uh, to see, um, Richard. There's also a curious apparatus which does the same thing, but in which the casing itself is made of consolidated thermite. In other words, the, the only thing left as evidence after this device is, is ejected its material through the structural steel is molten iron, for which we have uh, several uh, dozen witnesses uh, seeing pools of molten iron, the firemen describing it flowing like lava, like from a volcano. Um, the, the World Trade Center structural engineer himself, Leslie Robertson, uh, saying as of 21 days after the attack, molten steel was still running. His uh, associate, Richard Garlock, uh, also talks about uh, molten, the ends of, the, of beams being molten. Uh, it goes on and on and on. All of this is in our website, all of these witnesses. What could possibly uh, uh, burn, uh, run like molten lava for 21 days after the fire is ostensibly extinguished, Ron Craig? What, what could explain that? Uh, nothing can explain it because it didn't occur. The only way that you can keep a metal at that, uh, at that free flow so that it looks like molten material is if it's in a blast furnace. That's the only way. It would take hundreds of thousands of pounds of material and millions of BTU of heat to keep that material running. So uh, why people keep insisting upon it is totally beyond me. R uh, Richard, aside well, from testimony, the is there photographic evidence or is there a... Oh, sure. Yeah, we have, uh, we have photographs uh, uh, on our website. There's a, a bucket of, uh, 
of uh, from a crab claw from the excavating equipment, picking up debris, liquid molten metal. It, it's, it's red, white hot, and, and yellow hot, indicating its temperature uh, uh, above the melting point uh, uh, as the debris is, uh, mo- excuse me, at, almost at the melting point of iron, well above the temperature of office fires. There's liquid molten uh, metal flowing out of the south tower 10 minutes prior to its collapse. This is glowing bright orange. We're told by NIST that this must be aluminum from the jet airplane, but uh, aluminum looks silvery in daylight conditions when it's molten. So this is clearly molten iron or molten steel. Either way, the fires are not hot enough to uh, prevent it. So once again, we see Mr. Craig actively denying the evidence that's clear for all to see in line with NIST and the FEMA report. All right, when we come back, a few words about nanothermite, uh, because that's another uh, word or term that we hear bandied about these days. Nanothermite, what is it? What is it capable of? And then we'll ask Ron Craig, is that the case? And then on to, of course, Building 7. Everyone wants to know what brought down Building 7, barely mentioned in many of the official reports until very recently. Richard Gage, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, and International Society of Explosives Engineers, Ron Craig, here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And we will try to work in some phone calls, questions, and comments from you towards the tail end of the program. Very quickly, uh, some emails. Why did they melt down the evidence? Question mark. That's from uh, uh, Tom. And uh, let's see, Doreen, glad you're having this discussion. I'm one who believes it was done with demolition, learning the computer. Congratulations. Keep up the good work. Uh, Let's see who else here very quickly before we get back to the discussion. Uh, Dave says, I hope you're receiving email during the show. I checked the Delft Collapse videos on YouTube. It's quite plain to see the difference between this and the WTC 1, 2, and 7 events. The Delft building only failed in the areas and floors where the fire was present. It looks very little like the WTC uh, events. And lastly, uh, another Tom says, were, uh, "Why were the black box? Uh, where are the black boxes? And did the sprinkler system fail? All buildings don't fall because of fire, or buildings don't fall because of a fire. This is a cover-up." Very quickly, Ron, uh, did the sprinkler system fail? They did. They weren't working in the building. Okay, uh, Richard, you mentioned something about a, a linear explosive device utilizing nanothermite. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, this uh, again and how it works? Well, um, I'm not sure how it works, uh, but what scientists have found uh, in all of their dust samples is the is hundreds of these small red-gray chips. Uh, the largest ones are about a sixteenth of an inch long. One side uh, is uh, red-gray. The other side uh, is a different uh, a base layer, uh, presumably, uh, some kind of uh, iron. The, the red-gray uh, layer is composed of extremely small particles of iron oxide and aluminum powders. Uh, these are... Uh, uh, at the nanoscale, they're a thousand times smaller than the human hair. They're in the perfect, they're perfectly uh, uniform, the iron oxide 40 nanometers across this rhomboidal shape. The aluminum wafers are about uh, 40 nanometers by uh, uh, four or 500 nanometers. And the proportion to these uh, uh, individual nano-sized particles is perfect uh, uh, 
25% aluminum to three quarters, uh, 75% uh, iron oxide uh, to make up uh, a, a thermite, a very special type is, of, of thermite. Is this something new? They're set in a silicon bed, a silicon matrix, organic material. Is this something new? Nanothermite? Uh, this has uh, come out in the last um, uh, year and a half, I believe, uh, from the scientists who right. have uh, now published this in a 25-page peer-reviewed paper on the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal. It is taking scientific circles by storm. All right, Ron Craig, not nanothermite. How do you respond? Okay, well, first of all, I'd like to reference that scientific report that uh, we just heard about on the uh, open uh, site, is that uh, there's a major technical error in the report, and it says that nanothermite can also be an explosive as well as to be used in its traditional way, and that's totally false. Nanothermite cannot be used as an explosive. The second thing is, I want to talk about these red and gray chips, because it's interesting to me how 35 separate sampling areas could be sampled with material both inside and outside by the USGS, looked at under an electron microscope, and none of their samples had these red-gray chips. But the four samples that you presented have these red-gray chips. Does that not sound kind of suspicious to you, Richard? Uh, what sounds suspicious is, is that they didn't report them, and we don't know what kind of controls they may have had. I would expect that they might have found them. I would agree with you. But the fact that a team of scientists did, in fact, find them and didn't make them up in their backyard, this is extremely sophisticated material made only in the most uh, sophisticated Defense Department contracting laboratories. Uh, so it's not made... Uh, you know, in it by these these uh, scientists who found it, and it's not made in a cave in Afghanistan either. Well, first of all, the USGS was looking at the samples of dust specifically to see what was in the dust that would present a health hazard, not only to the first responders who were working on site, but also to the other citizens who lived in that proximity in that area. So if they didn't find them, I can assure you they weren't there in the 35 samples that they took. That's a fact, because so they used the same equipment denying, and the same they uh, used... No, I'm not denying. I'm going on on the scientific evidence, Richard. I don't make things up. It wasn't in any of their samples, and they use an electron oh, microscope it, too. Let's turn to this. Let's turn to the shape linear charge in the use of, of nanothermite, which is, uh, by the way, Mr. Jones. I believe, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I read where he said he no longer believes that nanothermite was used as a cutting charge or an explosive charge, but was used to initiate high explosives. So he's actually changed his uh, point of view. But let me deal specifically with nanothermite. Nano means to make smaller. So what essentially occurs is they take aluminum and they make it smaller. The reason they make it smaller is that in certain uses it increases the energy by about two times, which is significant. However, let me say very clearly here, thermite is not used in shape charges. In fact, shape charges are made out of RDX, plastic explosive. Anything that you add to it actually decreases the explosive strength. That's a fact. The second well, thing is, no, 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 let me, let me go on, please, Richard, uh, just to make my point, and then I'll be glad to listen to your rebuttal. Aluminum is used in explosives. It's used in explosives as either a sensitizer or it's used as a fuel, most commonly as a fuel. 
but it's used in explosive charges that you would not use to cut beams and to blow down beams. It's used in warheads. And the interest that the military has in this technology is that they can concentrate more power into a smaller warhead. That's extremely important because it maximizes the power they have for destruction, but it wouldn't be used at all in any way, shape, or form to cut a beam. It all would right. be counterproductive. Richard, your response, and then we'll break and come back and get it to, to Building 7. Go ahead, Richard. Well, you, you, your lack of information regarding how they might or might not use nanothermite uh, and my, perhaps, lack of information does not negate the fact that it was found in all of the dust samples and the chain of custody is established in the peer-reviewed paper, and it would not have been pe- uh, published uh, were, were, it, uh, were it made up. This is uh, very, very... Um, uh, the, the, the evidence uh, is 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 uh, is clear, and once again, you're denying it. Relative to the power of nanothermite, I'm just reading from this article in Technology Review by John Gartner, who cites uh, a, a researcher named uh, Sun S O N. Superthermites can increase the chemical reaction time uh, by thousands, by a thousand times, resulting in a very rapid reactive wave. Uh, so I'll leave it up to the listeners uh, how they uh, and, uh, 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 think in terms of what that means relative to explosives. All right, Richard. That's not my field. Hold on, uh, Richard. Let, let me take a time out. Very quick question to you, Ron. Is it possible that they have, when I say they, you know, this cabal, they have a technology you're not aware of? None whatsoever. I go to conferences all over North America. I'm right into the pipeline of the newest explosives and newest techniques. I assure you, there's no boogeyman here. All right, Building 7, what brought it down when the Conspiracy Show continues? Where there's smoke... There's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Just a a quick note. It is a a great privilege uh, that I enjoy uh, sitting in front of a microphone each week and discussing these uh, types of uh, topics uh, along with that. It was a great responsibility. Um, What I'd like to do beginning uh, early February is um, offer for those interested some uh, insights and experiences that I've uh, collected over the course of about 20 years doing this uh, type of program and other types of programs. It's uh, a talk radio and talk television course I will be offering. And if you go to the website, richardserrett.com and click on uh, Talk the Talk, it's there on the right-hand side, Talk Radio. Learn how to produce, write, and host in the talk radio and talk TV industry. There's more details there. All right. Enough of my shameless self-promotion. Back to a very important matter at at hand, and that is the World Trade Center towers and what brought them down. Uh, Was it controlled demolition? Ron Craig in studio, International Society of Explosives Engineers, and Richard Gage on the phone uh, from the founder, of course, of uh, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. All right. Building 7. Uh, for most people, laymen, we look at that and uh, we see what appears to be just a normal office fire. We, uh, we know that uh, no planes hit Building 7. Uh, I don't know that there was a diesel fuel present in uh, Building 7. 
just a normal office fire and uh, by all accounts not uh, a raging fire uh, yet it seemed to fall in the same mysterious manner as uh, towers one and two somewhat uh, symmetrical uh, and suddenly uh, Richard uh, Gage um, am I correct? Uh, no diesel uh, present in the building and uh, no, uh, no uh, debris impact. NIST tells us that these two factors, which they previously cited uh, supporting uh, the uh, popular mechanics assault on 9-11 truth, they previously cited that these were very significant factors, but uh, the evidence showed otherwise. So now they have to come up with a theory uh, that accounts only for normal office fires. And normal office fires uh, are said for this uh, particular building to have uh, caused uh, thermal expansion, uh, knocking a girder or uh, unseating a girder off of its column, causing nine successive floor collapses, causing column 79 to buckle, and um, therefore uh, the failure of one single column in this highly redundant uh, steel frame structure is cited as bringing the whole building down in a matter of seconds. This is completely unprecedented, and as I mentioned before, fire has never collapsed a steel frame building, and there is no jet fuel and no airplane to use as cover story in this case. So it's a fascinating case that all architects, engineers, and others see immediately as a, a classic controlled demolition because there is no discernible difference between the two. Ron Craig, just a normal office fire, wasn't it? Well, that's uh, apparently to uh, Mr. Gage. Uh, I'm doing some pretty in-depth research into Building 7. And in fact, I was going to present that research at the University of Waterloo 911 Truth Group. But I noticed that they've misrepresented my research, so I no longer have a form to present that research. Well, you, you do have a form. We, we can do it on this show or we can do it on the, on the, uh, the television show. So you, you will have a form. Uh, Excellent. But the, the point here is, though, uh, again, most people look at that, say a, a normal office fire, yet it behaves roughly the same way as the Towers 1 and 2. That does not sit well with, with many people. What I'd like to do is look at Building 5 before we look at Building 7. Building 5 was struck by some debris, but it wasn't extensive damage that occurred there. But a very, what we'd call typical office fire, occurred within the building itself. The building did not collapse. So after the fire had been put out, uh, fire and explosion investigators went in to have a look to see exactly how the building had behaved. And they were shocked to find that there'd been a partial collapse of multiple floors. That, in fact, the steel columns and beams did not react the way they would be expected to react from the models that they use when they design buildings. They were quite shocked by it. Partial collapse only. Partial collapse, yeah. but a very, but a very, just a very significant twisting of beams. It was without, without question, it did not behave the way that they expected it to behave, and they were quite shocked by it. What this shows us is that in a fire, structures behave a certain way, and it can't be predicted. So let's now move on to Building 7. Building 7 had a very significant fire over 10 floors. The building itself was an unusually constructed building because it was built over the Con Edison power plant, which it had, it had been anticipated that that would occur. I think that the disservice that we are done, or, or that has been done by NIST, is to claim that the failure of one critical beam caused the building to collapse, because I don't believe that. I believe that the building collapsed because of a totally mundane, 
benign phenomenon, the connections failed. In fact, when I was taking my courses, I can remember a very wise forensic engineer say, when a building collapses or something collapses, go to the connections. And that's precisely what happened with Building 7. There's no explosives used in Building 7 Symmetrical freefall. Absolutely. Three buildings in one day. You know, it's true, and I think that it shows us that maybe the architects and engineers that are designing these buildings better have a look at them. Oh, whoops, they are. All of a sudden, if you read the literature, there's a great deal of investigation that's taking place into these, quote, steel frame buildings because of the fact that they did not behave the way they were supposed to behave under a real fire condition. And in fact, the literature is replete with examples where the tests that are carried out are very isolated and do not test the entire system, just one component of it. Richard Gage... Uh, uh, thermite, nanothermite, again present in the dust around Building 7? Uh, in, in all of the dust throughout lower Manhattan, in, including around Building 7. And at the bottom of Building 7, in fact, the, uh, the, the uh, USGS Avarice uh, infrared system uh, cites uh, extremely hot uh, temperatures on the surface of Ground Zero, um, but there's no fires uh, on the surface of, of Building 7 or the Twin Towers. Uh, so what they're measuring is uh, uh, temperatures that must be twice that hot. But back to the behavior of this building, the, the, the building five, which Mr. Craig uh, pointed out, was completely engulfed in flames on almost every floor. The hottest fire uh, that uh, I think we've, we've probably ever seen. I, I, uh, so how do you make that determination, that, Richard? That accounts for uh, uh, some of it. I don't know how that building was framed. Uh, we'll, but let's, that aside, let's talk about the behavior of Building 7, first of all. Because what happens is, uh, uh, one sec six seconds before the global collapse, the East Penthouse dives straight down. Uh, six, six seconds after that, the, the, norm, the rest of the penthouse drops straight down, uh, indicating massive uh, core column failure uh, uh, all at once. Uh, and then the, the complete perimeter, a second after that, goes straight down, resting silently or still one second, and then the rest of the second, the entire global collapse happens, and it's suddenly, and guess what? It goes from zero movement to free fall acceleration uh, within about uh, less than a second. And for two and a half seconds, for 100 feet of this building's fall, uh, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology actually acknowledges finally that this is in fact free fall. Now I want to describe for everybody at home what that actually means because uh, we'll hear from Mr. Craig or we have heard that he's not a physics expert so he doesn't understand these things. But this is common sense. I'd like everybody to grab a nearby object and hold it up. Now we're going to stand up and in, in the count of three, we're going to drop the object. Are you ready? Three, two, one. That is how fast this building falls straight down into its own footprint. And uh, for 100 feet, it's unresisted by any of the 40,000 tons of structural steel designed to resist this building. In fact, it's three to five times stronger than it needs to be. The only way that could happen at that speed or acceleration and smoothly and symmetrically is if all of the core columns at least uh, are cut within a tenth of a second of each other. Any deviation from that pattern, the building will begin to tip 
And believe me, there are plenty of examples of failed controlled demolitions where the building does tip. A fire can't account for that level of precision. If that's true, uh, Ron, I would have to say that, that the official version would sound to me as, as uh, an extraordinary hypothesis. I mean, for these things to happen uh, the way they needed to happen, for Building 7 to fall in the way that it did, it, 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 it just boggles the mind. Well, interestingly, I just read some research on the collapse of Building 7. And uh, what they concluded from the photographic evidence and from the other evidence, which was timing that had been done on site, was that it actually collapsed and it took 40% longer than would be computed if it fell at free fall speed. So I don't agree with Mr. Gage's analysis. But going well, back to why these... Going uh, back you, to you what, have to read the latest NIST report. came out in November of 2008. They were forced into a corner by uh, AE911 Truth members uh, Stephen Jones and, uh, and David Chandler, who did documentation study, documenting clearly that, the, uh, that the, this building fell at freefall. Okay, that's, okay. let's Ron, let Ron continue on. The implication of that. Okay, okay, Ron, continue on with your point. So why did the building collapse? Why did building collapse, Building 7, if no explosives were used? Well, there's, there are reasons for it. Uh, the behavior of the large building was not as predicted by models or by the limited tests that had been carried out on component parts. There were connection problems that did not behave as anticipated in a fire condition. In fact, connections are never tested in a thermal condition, something they're looking at actually changing. The fireproofing in, in Building 7 was not to code. And there's a real concern now as a result of Building 7's collapse and what they saw in Building 5 of the effect of thermal expansion on long-span floor systems. This is a consistent theme that you see in the literature. Interestingly, when a disaster occurs of any kind, the engineering journals, the fire protection journals, all go abuzz with why did this occur and how can we prevent it from happening? I'm telling in you, fact, there's no voodoo here. And if explosive charges had been used inside, it would have blown out windows all over lower Manhattan. Because when an explosive goes kind of off, when an explosive goes off, it generates a tremendous amount of pressure, a very well, significant shockwave. And you know, what about was, if it was nanothermite, though? If it were nanothermite that had been used to actually drop the building, it wouldn't have dropped at free fall speed. Anybody that's ever used thermite, and I have, I've had personal experience using the material, is it's not predictable how it burns through steel. What about nanothermite? Well, nanothermite is really, nanothermite, nanothermite is something that the entire truth movement has staked its reputation and its claim on. Because some of them are now saying, well, okay, the explosives weren't used, it was nanothermite or nano-explosives. So let's go to nanothermite. Nanothermite would cause a more vigorous burning reaction, but it doesn't have the special voodoo powers that have been accorded to it to bring down that building. Well, uh, the interesting thing about nanothermite is that, first of all, as we've already seen in, in the literature, it, it's a thousand times more effective. Uh, second I didn't all, see that in any of the literature. It's twice as vigorous. Device. Let me speak now. I've given you a chance. Uh, it, it can be used in combination with, with other uh, 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 materials. And it would not have the loud bang that you're talking about. It would not have the extremely bright flash. So for a deceptive controlled demolition, which this is, you would think that the perpetrators would use the most highly sophisticated material at their, at their disposal, which you and I, no matter what you say, uh, would not be cognizant of. Now, back to, car back to the fires. Um, there has been extensive tests in London on unprotected steel structures with fires that are 2,000 degrees and, and over a period of two hours. And guess what? They do not fail the connections that you're faulting here. All right, we've got to step away. Uh, 
We'll open up the phone lines. Are you getting some clarity or are we muddying the waters? 416-360-0740. That's from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Looking at the uh, the poll numbers here on richardserrett.com, where the WTC towers brought down by controlled demolition on 9-11, and I don't see a lot of movement, uh, although uh, a lot of people now have uh, uh, voted, but uh, the numbers haven't fluctuated uh, too dramatically. Still about 85% are saying, yes, it was controlled demolition. 12.5% saying, no, it was not controlled demolition. And nearly 3% of you remain unsure. All right. Uh, we have about uh, 20 minutes left in the program. We will try to work in uh, some calls here very uh, shortly. Uh, but I, I, um, I want to go back to Building 7 for just a moment and, uh, uh, Richard, ask you... Uh, I guess to make a sort of a, a final comment on Building 7 before we get to the calls. Yes. Uh, it's clear uh, to most everybody who even sees uh, Building 7 coming down. This is a, this was, this, this, uh, 9-11 was sold to us on TV. Um, and what you have to do is, is see it graphically to c- correct yourself. You have to see close-ups of World Trade Center 1 and 2, those explosions that we have in our DVD. Building 7 is the same way. As soon as people see it, they recognize it instantly as exactly what happened, for instance, to the old hotels, coming down smoothly, symmetrically, into a pile about four stories high. Now, the only way a steel frame uh, perimeter, uh, moment-resisting frame uh, building can, high-rise, can fall into like a house of cards is if all of those or most of those columns and beams are individually cut. And that's what we see, uh, four stories high, a neat haystack-shaped uh, pile. Uh, this can't happen. Uh, this is not how steel frame buildings uh, collapse. Okay, Ron uh, Craig, your final comment on Building 7, and then into the calls we go. Building 7 shows absolutely no evidence of an explosive going off. If it did go off, we would see a completely different signature than what we saw. Again, we go back to the fact that the buildings had not had beams removed prior. The windows were still in the building. All of those things indicate that to cut it into pieces, as Richard has indicated, you would have to put very significant explosive charges on every beam, on every floor, and blow it. And I'm telling you, it would blow out half the windows in Manhattan. Quite interestingly, I looked at the data of who presented themselves at hospitals, emergency rooms, after the two buildings and Building 7 collapsed. Not one person presented themselves with any of the injuries that you would suspect if an explosive charge went off in a building and that detonation wave blew up windows in other buildings. Typically, you have glass cuts and eye injuries, and not one person presented themselves at any of the four hospitals with All right. those injuries. Let's go to the phones. And uh, Hunter is in central Ontario. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show AM740. Hunter. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Evening. I just went, wanted to weigh in on the debate. Um, and I'm not uh, slighting anyone personally. Uh, you know, everyone's got their reasons for making their point, whatever they may happen to be. I just wanted to say that uh, is it Ron? I, I just didn't feel that. And I don't know how the rest of the um, listeners are going to, um, uh, you know, side with me or not on this. I, I just he doesn't seem to be selling his um, his point very. What in particular did you find uh, lacking in his argument? Well, he, when thermite was first brought up, that was kind of <clears throat> almost 
swept to the side. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've seen this stuff on TV and documentaries already. It's just, um, you know, it's just, it's not. It just doesn't sell what he's trying to say. Um, did, did you happen to see the National Geographic program where they actually put thermite on a beam and it didn't burn through it? No, I didn't see that, but I, I showed them purportedly show, showing thermite being picked up at ground level at, at, at the, you know, at the, the site. Let's right. be clear uh, that the National Geographic show uh, was designed purposefully to... Um, to, to obfuscate the issue, uh, no one, no one's suggesting that thermite was poured against the side of a column, as they uh, suggested. Uh, there, we're talking about uh, different uh, higher tech forms uh, than what they were capable of. All right, Tim is in uh, Gladewater, Texas. You're on the Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Good morning, Tim. Hey, how's it going? Well, I uh, I wanted to discuss with Mr. Craig there the issue. First of all, where he started out discussing the fact that explosives could not cause the, the dustification within the collapse. Is that, is that so? No, what I'm saying is, is that the explosion would actually eject dust and debris 300 feet past what we saw in the photographic evidence. Okay, well, it seems like I've seen further evidence from Mr. Gage that has shown that, that, you know, that type of reaction. But if explosives were used in the first case, that would have caused the collapse. Therefore, the, the collapse would have caused the justification. When you know, so that kind of makes that argument. Sure. No, I, I understand where you're going, and it makes common sense. And then we break it down into the elements to see how it actually works out. We put an okay. explosive either against a beam, which wouldn't blow it down, by the way, but let us suppose we do that, or we put an explosive on the beam in a, sh in a linear-shaped charge. When that explosive goes out, it ejects out laterally a great distance past the debris pile, or sorry, past the actual pyroclastic dust clouds. So well, that that's a fact. That no, no, it doesn't depend on what kind of explosive. If it's an explosive, oh, sure it uh, Richard, a, oh, explain, Richard, how it how it does. Explain to me how it does because I'm interested in this. Well, I, I'm suggesting to you that you don't know everything there is to know about explosives, regardless of your claim to the contrary. You need to educate yourself about these nanothermites. Uh, so that, uh, and, and I'll get an expert uh, on our side, and that will be a more interesting discussion. But your claim of omnipotent knowledge does not ignore the evidence that nanothermites were found in all of the dust and that these buildings came down at near Richard, free fall Richard, acceleration, which violates Richard, the law. Richard, that, that's not the question. The question, the question was the explosive signature. Okay, just a minute, Tim. Let Ron... Uh, yeah, the, the question was the explosive signature. We keep going back to this dust, and as I indicated, it's not present in the USGS reports. So I'll wait for uh, Richard Gage's uh, evidence that he sends me in an email. But let's go back to the way that explosive behave. No matter what explosive you use, it behaves in a very predictable manner, and the signature is very predictable as well. And I'm telling you, no, ex so. well, no explosive well, was used in that you're building. Trying to presume, you're trying to presume that, that we're only saying that one explosive was used. That's not, that's not at all the argument. The, the, the argument is that we found that there has been found evidence of some sort of explosive. So whether or not you say that's the only explosive used or whatnot, like I said, that's a straw man argument. All right. Okay, so, so I wanted to move, we can move past that, and we want to go. I want to go to the New York Times oral history. You say there's no evidence of explosives, you know, being happened on the scene and there at the site. You have multiple. EMT and fire services specialists, you know, these guys do this for a living. Yes, and, and you know, that's an excellent point. 
because if you look at the evidence that's presented by most people that support the explosives theory being used in the World Trade Center buildings, you'll find out that 80% of their evidence is based on eyewitness testimony. Uh, another probably 10 to 15% is based on dust samples. And then, then 5% is, 5%, excuse me, let me finish, 5% is based on open journals. Okay, so let's take a look at it. I know from my considerable experience using explosions and putting out fires, of which I've done professionally, that people will see things that they cannot understand. It's not because they're trying to mislead you. It's because of the fact that they don't have the experience to be able to tell you what the noise is. The noise from an explosion is not like any of the noises that people purportedly heard on 9-11. Trust me on that. So well, I'm not saying, they're, I'm not saying that they're they trying to mislead like us. I'm just saying that they're not interpreting the data correctly. Tim and uh, Gladewater, thank you. Tim. Uh, uh, Tim, thank you in uh, Gladewater, Texas. I hope you'll call again. Uh, well, l let me uh, throw this out there. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, a custodian, I believe, who came forward, uh, who was working in the basement of the World Trade Center uh, c complex at the time and reported an explosion that happened prior to the airplanes hitting the building. In, uh, in other words, the explosion and then the planes hitting the building, two separate events. Uh, am I remembering that correctly, first of all, Richard Gage? And then I'll get Ron to respond to, to, to that. Yeah, indeed. There's several witnesses that uh, uh, experienced explosions prior to the airplane impacts uh, down in the basements. Um, it's actually quite interesting uh, when you when you think about it. Um, uh, one of them uh, describes uh, an explosion that pushed them up. They were on the B2 level, um, so that's clearly an explosion. There are dozens and dozens of witnesses describing explosions. Now, you can listen to them on our DVD and on our website, um, and, and you can get a sense for yourself what they're talking about. One of them is uh, 2,000 feet away or so, away from the, uh, the, the North Tower before it uh, begins its collapse, and he, he ducks, he turns, and he ducks because the sound was so big he didn't know where it was coming from, and it was the uh, tower coming down uh, which is described uh, by these 118 witnesses uh, as, um, uh, again, flashes of light and sounds of explosions. These are experts. All right, uh, Richard. We'll uh, come back when we'll have a few minutes uh, remaining in the program. And perhaps we can work in a call or two. If you get on the line, please be brief with your question. Get right to your point. Ron Craig is with the International Society of Explosives Engineers, does not believe it was controlled demolition. Richard Gage, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, says... Yes, it was. Back with more. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Quite frankly, uh, what I find the most surprising is that anyone is able to piece together any sort of uh, narrative or, or theory, given the fact that uh, most of uh, the debris was hauled away, probably in an illegal fashion. I mean, if we look at this as a crime scene, the fact that it was moved... Uh, tampered with, quite frankly. Uh, I mean, Ron Craig, let me uh, get you in here first. How, first of all, why would they do that? Why would they haul everything away? And secondly, how can you make any of your claims when most of the, uh, the, the debris has been shipped out? Excellent questions, Richard. And I hear this constantly being asked. Why did they ship away the debris? And, and obviously, this is part of the cover-up. So let's deal with it directly. 
When a disaster occurs, and clearly two planes slamming into buildings is a disaster, there's an incident commander that's appointed that actually decides how the, the event is going to be, uh, shall we say, um, organized. So the event was two airplanes slammed into the building. From fires, they collapsed. So the incident commander would handle it as though it was a building collapse, right? So as a result, they would go in and they would do their work. The first goal is to save as many people as possible that are buried. The next step is body recovery, unfortunately. So they went ahead and they did it. That person is not responsible for why the steel was carted away. They have no say on that. But that's how it was handled. So this whole thing about, well, they didn't take explosive samples, there was no evidence of explosives. And the incident commander would say, why would we do that? You know that there were bomb squad people from the city of New York that were present who say there were no explosives used in that building. And let me point out that there was at least one, it may have been two, but I know at least one uh, bomb squad member that was killed going into the building as it collapsed. So they have a stake in this. Also, let me point out that there was a bomb tech, a bomb squad member from the City of New York Police Department that was there 24-7 as they were hauling away the debris. And he was looking, obviously, he was there for his comrade that had fallen, had been killed in the building, but he was also there looking at all of the evidence as it was coming out. Do you think that he wouldn't have seen something that was explosive-related, which is a very typical type of material? And do you think that he's part of the cover-up, Richard? Richard Gage, uh, talk to me about the, the debris being hauled away the way it was. We don't know what agendas different people might have had. Obviously, if there was controlled demolition, there would be a whole lot of people with a whole lot of agendas. Now, let me address the question. FEMA uh, did an initial investigation, and they cast doubt, in fact, on their own theory, citing that the specifics of the fires and how they caused the building to collapse remain unknown at this time. Their best hypothesis, which is fire and random damage and then complete collapse, has only a low probability of occurrence. In fact, uh, they say further research, investigation, and analysis are required to resolve this issue. But they had ordered the destruction of the evidence uh, prior to their report coming out in May of 2002. All the steel, save one that we know of, which uh, piece was the one that we cited earlier, documented in Appendix C of the uh, official FEMA report, which actually documents uh, what amounts to evidence of thermite attack on the steel, which Ron Craig will cite came from the gypsum board because it has calcium sulfate, but that can't leach out and never has attacked steel, which it's designed to protect. There There's 400 truckloads of steel being carted away, uh, prompting uh, the editor-in-chief of building a fire engineering magazine uh, crucial evidence that could answer many questions is on the slow boat to China, uh, cr uh, is showing an astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. The destruction and removal of evidence must stop immediately. So well, here's somebody who didn't have an agenda. Okay, let me work in a, a quick call here from Dave in Toronto, and then we'll do final statements. Dave, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, hi. First, I'd like to say, Richard, uh, I'm a longtime fan of uh, all your work, and I'd like to thank you personally for... Uh, everything you've done to try and get a new investigation on the table. Thank you. Okay. Um, uh, my question is for Ron Craig. Uh, with everything that Richard has presented, do you not believe that there is at least just cause for a new investigation? 
I believe that there should be a new investigation into the way modern buildings are designed because clearly there were problems with the connections that the fire attacked and caused a collapse of these buildings. And the scary thing is, gentlemen, is that there are lots of buildings that are built the same way today. All right. So th- that, that incidentally is what fire engineering was referring to when they wanted it, uh, the investigation well, reopened. If that's the case, then uh, we, we should see a lot of similar collapses, I would think, in the, in the next five, ten years if those buildings are still out there. If there's a fire, we should see a re- occurrence of this, I would think. Oh, there's been a number of fires. In fact, uh, one burned 44 stories in Beijing, China, completely engulfing the building. It didn't collapse. No steel frame high-rise has collapsed since or before 9-11. Okay, Richard Gage, uh, final comments, and you can go first. Well, it appears as if our government lied to us about these building collapses, because the evidence is clear, convincing, and overwhelming uh, for the explosive-controlled demolition. So it's not a matter of whether they were uh, uh, destroyed by engineered destruction or not. What matters is that we wake up the American people to this, because the 9-11 Commission reinforced this lie. FEMA and NIST justified it, and the corporate media apparently has repeated it and hammered it in, so that uh, most people uh, don't know about the evidence at all. They just believe what we were told. So we've seen uh, that explosives were used. And, of course, it takes months of planning and engineering to place them. Uh, Who had access to these highly secure buildings? Who had the uh, access to this uh, very sophisticated nanothermite, which Mr. Craig is uh, denying, and and along with the spheres, uh, iron spheres in all of the dust? Uh, So the architects and engineers uh, for 9-11 Truth don't speculate about these things, who was responsible, how they got away with it, etc. So, unfortunately, this is just the beginning uh, of a disturbing but rather essential journey for your listeners back into the nightmare of 9-11. This is just a small fraction of evidence that the 9-11 truth movement has assembled, and I'm asking, therefore, your listeners to follow up uh, with uh, excellent books by David Ray Griffin and, uh, of course, with our DVD. We're asking you to give it to all of your friends, your relatives, uh, architects, engineers, and everyone else because this is the only way the truth is being spread about the destruction of these buildings. A quick website, a, Richard, a quick a website? Grassroots organization. A quick website? Give us a website quickly. AE911truth.org. AE911truth.org. All right, Ron Craig. Unfortunately, most of the research that's been done into 9-11 by the 9-11 supporters is based on expectation bias. That means you've made up your mind that the government was responsible for blowing down the buildings or that nanothermite was used or explosives because the buildings couldn't fall the way they fell, and all of your efforts are designed to show how that possibly could happen, how explosives could be used. Instead of taking the objective point of view that I take, which is if I don't see the signature of explosives, explosives weren't used in the building. I'm using a strategy that was put forward by the National Fire Protection Association in a book called Fire and Explosion Investigation. And I say the science shows us that there's absolutely no explosions, no nano explosives, nothing in the dust that would lead us to believe the buildings have been demolished by explosives. All right, gentlemen, Richard Gage and uh, Ron Craig, let's say we uh, we meet again and uh, this time we'll do it face to face in a television studio, a television show called The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett coming to a worldwide audience. I'm confidence soon. Are you good for that, Richard? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I I think that this is very productive to have our points of view out there for the public. Gentlemen, I think you're both uh, doing a a valuable service here. And uh, as I've always said, we've got to follow the truth no matter where it leads us. 
Uh, again, thank you uh, to Richard Gage and Ron Craig. Uh, back next week. And um, I'm not sure exactly what we've got in store for you, but I'll guarantee you it'll be a good one. Hope to see you then. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.